Welcome to Rooted and Unwavering, a podcast and radio show which features leaders from all walks of life in conversations about courageous connectedness. How do we stay connected to our best selves, especially when we are challenged? What becomes possible when we truly stay committed to our own and others' greatness, also when we don't feel it? Join host Hilke Faber, transformational coach, facilitator, and award-winning author of Taming Your Crocodiles, and his guests as they explore leadership greatness in today's episode of Rooted and Unwavering. Well, welcome everyone to the seventh episode of Rooted and Unwavering, broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studio in Tempe, Arizona, where we help leaders connect more deeply to their innate potential. I'm your host, Hilke Farber, and I am today here, so delighted to be here today with Ahmed Basak. Uh, Ahmed, how are you today? Grateful. So nice to see you all. We'll get to know you much more in this. I'm going to even say more about you before we get into a conversation. And before we do that, I want to just say a few things by way of setting the tone for our podcast today and for our radio show about Root and Unwavering. This podcast series is is designed to help each of us listening or on the screen talking uh, to connect more deeply to what is true about us in our depths, like our innate potential, our values, what we really want, and learn through conversation to bring that more and more to the fore in our leadership, in our rest of our lives, and especially when we're challenged. So today we're here to learn from Amit, and Amit has such an amazing background. Uh, I will share a little bit about you. You come to us today from two companies that you lead, Full Potential Solutions and Perch Insights. And I'm leading with that, although I should lead actually with what your North Star is, which you describe as grace, integrity, and importance of team. You use that in everything that you do. You've worked very broadly in marketing services, in consumer-driven healthcare, in private equity, in enterprise technology and business process outsourcing. You hold an MBA from Harvard Business School and a BA, may I say, cum laude from Yale in ethics, politics, and economics. You're also the chairman and president of both companies, Full Potential and uh, CEO of Purse Insights. You also serve as chairman of Affinity X, which is a strategic partner of Full Potential Solutions. You also are the co-founder of Staley Capital, a growth capital firm. You are a chairman of uh, Aclaris, which was an, is an administrator of consumer directed healthcare accounts. And you started your career in Morgan Stanley Investment Banking and also private equity at J.H. Uh, Whitney. And then currently you're also, and there's so many also's in your story here, you're also serving on the board of uh, YPO, the Young Presence Organization, New England and Seacoast. And you're also serving on the board of the Neshoba Learning Group, which is a school and adult program dedicated to helping people like your own two sons live their full potential, living with severe autism, where you'd like help to have make, make help people give a chance to actually be focusing on what they can do rather than what they cannot. So mm. I'm so humbled to be in your presence today. That is, you could say, what's written. When I think about how I met you, I met you through a uh, mutual friend and client. And from the very first time we met, we've been in conversations for the last few years now, yeah. uh, where we talk about being more conscious leaders for a, a more livable world. I noticed about you, your strength, your heart, uh, and how you use your power, which speaks from your resume, truly for good. So I am so humbled to be with you to talk about connectedness. So I mean, so tell me a little bit about, and tell us a little bit about your journey in connecting more deeply to your true self mm-hmm. as a leader throughout your life. So say a bit more about sure. what your journey has been like. First of all, thank uh, Hilka. Thank you for that introduction. In terms of my journey, I think it starts, the the best way to start is the theme of this podcast, Rooted and Unwavering. And so 
my journey has brought me to a place that uh, involves uh, having a purpose. And that what that and that that brings me to rooted. And the purpose of my work life as a leader involves creating an environment where people thrive. That is our mission in our company. We are unwavering about the set of core values that create the foundation upon which we create that environment. And those core values are excellence, accountability, integrity, and grace. And I think the journey and how we got here involved a series of different choices and experiments that I personally ran, some successful, most not, from which I learned about what that real purpose is as far as my leadership goes. I don't know if, that, I don't know if that's too vague. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. So I heard amongst the series of values, a value that I don't often see when I look at companies, and that's grace. Yeah. So, so say a bit more about what grace means to you and what that looks like to connect to grace as a leader. What does that look like for you? I appreciate the question because so many teammates of mine, we have excellence as a core value and accountability, and then we have grace as another core value. And often people ask, how can you have both? And I say, you can't have one without the other. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is uh, grace, to answer your question directly, and I'd like to elaborate if I could, uh, grace to me means putting yourself in someone else's shoes, having empathy, mm-hmm. truly listening to where they are so that you have a shot at connecting with them deeply, mm-hmm. uh, finding common ground, uh, establish, making yourself vulnerable to them so that they understand that we're all human mm. and we all have very similar sets of challenges when you boil it down. And so grace specifically in, in how I apply it to leadership and how I seek to inspire my teammates to apply it in their leadership in our business is putting yourself in someone's shoes and listening. And the reason why, Hilka, I think it's so critical is you can't have grace if someone if you're trying to coach somebody, mm-hmm. right, to perform a job in a specific way, mm-hmm. to produce a better outcome or to be excellent, in order to unlock their potential, you got to understand what's motivating them, what's creating a scenario where they're not excellent. Because no one comes to work not wanting to want to do a bad job, yes. right? And then we balance that, or let me, I'll, 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 I'll talk about the balance in a second, but what that really does, Hilka, in, in my opinion, It creates psychological safety. And so in order to produce the outcomes we want for our clients and for our business, we talk a lot about creating peak flow or optimal performance. And if you think about that in terms of a two-by-two matrix, where on the y-axis you have psychological safety, where people feel comfortable taking risks, where people feel comfortable asking questions, where people aren't afraid to push back against their leadership because they disagree, right? That's the safety piece. And without grace, you can't have any safety. But if you just have safety, then people aren't going to push themselves. So that's where you bring in the demand for accountability for excellence, right? And you have to do both. You can't do one or the other. It's a system. It's not even balancing the two. It's impressing upon people, in my opinion, that in order to get excellence, right? If you don't have psychological safety, the people will burn out. I personally have burned out in my life by not having psychological safety and just achieving and focusing on excellence. When you have both, in my opinion, in my experience, that's how you increase the likelihood that you get to peak flow. Does that make sense? I love that. So peak flow from your perspective is some amalgamation of an integration of excellence and grace, those two coming together, right? Yes. And I'm also hearing from you that in your life, you learned the hard way that it's not an either or, that it's truly an and. So I'm very curious about your own experiences with learning about grace for yourself, maybe also for others. Like, how have you been learning that? Because, you know, I was looking at your resume and getting to know you and it's like, Here's this guy, you know, he's got an MBA from Harvard. He got the, you know, the summa cum laude degree from Yale. You got, like, you hit all the marks and you still do. Like you have all these things. He's like, you're, you're, you hit all the marks, right? 
So tell me a little bit about, and tell us a little bit about how do you connect and how have you learned about grace in your own life? Maybe tell, tell us about an experience that you've had or experiences yeah. you've had. I think I'll start with a professional experience. And I think later we'll talk about my sons and personal experience. In terms of professional experience, probably the most profound way in which I reconnected with grace is through an interaction I had several years ago with somebody on my team. I was asking this person to prepare a certain analysis. And the analysis was important for a negotiation with a client regarding price. And I'd been asking for this analysis and I wasn't getting the answer. And one morning I said to this person, if you can't do this analysis, then you don't belong in this job. And, and Hilka, I was a real ass in that moment. I, I was not graceful. Uh, I was completely insensitive to this person's situation. I did not give this person the opportunity to raise her hand and say, hey, I'm not sure how to do this. I was just demanding the outcome. You know, part of it is I take it. We'll talk later, I think, about radical candor. But I think in that moment, I was so ashamed of myself. As I often do, I went to my wife, who's my best friend, uh, who probably should be on this podcast because she's far wiser than I am. And I asked, "What what do you think I should do? So first was obviously apologize to this person. And the second was a deeper question she asked me in that moment. She said, you know, why do you think you did what you did? I talked about feeling triggered and angry. Then I thought about, well, isn't the opposite of the story that it's not that she wasn't able to do the work, but I was not able to create a scenario for her to do her work as her leader. And so Hilka, what that did is it put me on a journey And my wife is very wise, as I mentioned. I think for years, she'd been trying to get me to engage in therapy uh, for my own mental health. Mm. And of course, given the resume you described, I didn't feel like I personally needed such therapy because I had it all figured out. And of course, I didn't, as evidenced by my behavior in that case. She convinced me to seek out a mindfulness coach, which Mm. didn't feel like therapy, which didn't feel like something was wrong with me. I met a gentleman named Gotham Devia, who remains my mindfulness coach today, that really introduced me to many of these concepts. I noticed that, and I think for us as listeners to you, it's it's so helpful to hear you take us through that movie, because we all go through that movie, right? So there's something that happened. In this case, this person did not deliver to you what you wanted, when you wanted it. I can relate to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then in that moment, you basically said to her, you're no, no, there's no place for you here because you're not delivering. Like very black and white thinking, right? And, yeah. and that is often a telltale that we're not in our wisest part, that we're sort of, you, you used the word triggered yeah. and you used the word shame. So, so how long did it take you between that conversation and then having that conversation with your wife about, hmm, let's think about this for a moment. It took minutes, but, but what, I, what, I, what I will say, first of all, is the actual feedback I was given, the substance of what I was saying, I think was spot on, but the manner in which I said it, uh, right? Uh, so I, I fundamentally believe in radical candor in everything you do at work and in human relationships and being very, very clear about, right? But you can't, in my opinion, I lost a basic sense of empathy for the fact that I was dealing with another human being. And there were parts of this uh, analysis or parts of this exercise where I could have perhaps made it easier for her to do. And so what I was ashamed of was how I did, how I delivered the message. And if you're going to be connected to somebody, if you're going to be graceful when you're demanding excellence, I think it's important to anticipate how the message you're delivering is going to be received. Very clear. So if you could do it all over again, right? And imagine this person was not delivering, had not delivered, had done exactly what she did. How would you have wanted to interact with her with grace and accountability? How would you want to 
want to have to done it? You know, it would have been as simple as, hey, we've been working on this for a few weeks now. What can I do to help you? Hmm. What is what is it about this particular piece of work that's stumbling you? And, you know, I think there's so often, like I work in the tech business, right, Hilka? And so I often start, when I talk to people on my technology team, I start prescribing solutions to a problem rather than saying, here's the problem, right? Because there are people that are better than I am at designing whatever the solution is. Yes. It's, I think you start at a fundamentally different spot where don't presume anything, Ilka, ask open-ended questions and then listen, mm-hmm. the listening piece. Because, you know, just today I was in a conversation with teammates and we defined what the problem was at the beginning of the conversation. And as we got into the discussion and as I listened, we were solving the wrong problem. And you found out by listening. Yeah. By staying open. By staying connected to, to something in you that allows you to stay open. So what is that in you that helps you to have the wherewithal to take that step back and to come back to your North Star? Like, for example, this morning with your teammates, there was something that happened. You were able to step back. So what, what is that in you that gives you that wherewithal to, to connect to something that you could say is wiser, that has more grace, that has more compassion, that's more integrative? There's a scaffolding. There's a set of tactics you can employ to do this, Helga. I think um, what I have learned is I am at my best self when I am mindful. And to be mindful, as you know well, is to be present in the moment to be curious about all that's happening around us in that moment and to be kind, to know that the people we're collaborating with all just want to try and do a good job too. And of course, if there are bad actors that you're dealing with, that's a separate kind of conversation. But to be mindful, I think, is the essential piece of the puzzle. And that obviously also isn't easy because our minds are cluttered all the time and just as I'm talking to you today, as I'm trying to be present, but I'm also thinking about who's in the audience, for example. And um, I think it's really important and challenging for us as leaders, as human beings, to be mindful. And I think if we can be more mindful, at least on the margin, we have a better shot at establishing that connection that you talk about. That is the basis of, of all of this. I mean, I, I, I sat here and I listened to you in my resume, talk about my resume and like, None of that matters in the end. In the, in the end, what matters is the joy, the fulfillment, the love that we experience through our human connection. My simple answer to you is being mindful and being focused on what really matters to me, which is to create an environment where people thrive, because that's what brings me joy. Being mindful and being very focused on what truly matters to you. I think that's a very powerful recipe, like being in the present moment, being being right here. Yeah. Sometimes in a, well, often in workshops, I ask this question on a scale from one to 10, how present are you right now? Like where 10 is, I am totally here, like as present as I would be when I held my newborn for the first time, if I had one in my <laughs> arms and looked at their eyes or when I ask this person on a date that I really want to go on a date with, like that would be about a 10, right? And yeah. one is, I'm totally not here. And what I notice asking this question is that when we just simply ask ourselves the question, how present am I? We become more present, more present. right? And yes. as you're describing, when we become more present, it's like all our faculties unite And then we're open to the richness of this moment. So we can actually listen to our teammates. We can actually connect. We can be curious. And then naturally, as you're saying, the question of what's really important to the clutter kind of dissipates. And what's really important starts to come to the surface. So what I'm curious about, you've talked about this already. You have two sons. Mm -hmm that have severe autism. And so how do you work with that? And what have you learned in your journey with them about grace, about presence, 
about connecting to your true self and connecting with their true selves. How, what have you been learning? My wife, Una, and my daughter, Maya, and I would all agree that through their experience as 19-year-old nonverbal adults with autism, we have become far more appreciative of little things in life. And so I'll start with, before we got this curveball, learning of their diagnosis 17 years ago, uh, when they were two, I was on a path, Hilka, of achievement and striving, one collecting one sort of one medal at a time, right? So I, I probably peaked in high school where I got to be a, a pretty decent wrestler and I was a leader of our student council and I went to I went to college and I felt good about where I went to college and I graduated from college and I was going to be the treasury secretary of the United States, if not the president of the United States. No kidding. That was on my mind. Not on my mind. It was at the forefront of my mind. Mm -hmm. Uh, I go into investment banking. Uh, I struggled at the beginning and I worked really hard and I gutted it out. And I was at the top of my class when I left. Boom, all this stuff, right? But I don't think I was happy doing any of it. I was doing it for what comes next and Mm -hmm. what getting from point A to B, point B, how do I get to point C? Mm -hmm. And it was this very linear, path. And then when the boys were diagnosed, first of all, I didn't even know what autism was. My wife and I faced a set of challenges that we couldn't imagine. And it sort of put us into, it put us in a situation where we no longer had control over the outcomes of our life. And we had to accept that. And it took years and it took a lot of fighting, a lot of frustration, a lot of drinking a lot of eating too much, a lot of falling out of shape, a lot of making bad decisions as far as my career goes. And in the end, where it brought me to is what I really appreciate is being able to take a walk around the block with one of my sons. Because with the other one of my sons, I can't get him to come out of the house. And I could give you a myriad of different stories about what their challenges are and what they can't do. But when I focus on what they can do, have a dance party, enjoy some spaghetti, learn how one of them is learning how to work out uh, with a personal trainer right now, which is amazing to me. Mm. When we can focus on what we can do, mm. it our mind shifts to this mm. point where I call it above the line through this conscious leadership, where I can let myself be in a situation where I can appreciate beauty in the most, in the smallest things. Mm. And this directly relates to how we relate to one another in the workplace because we all know in the workplace, there's always, this sounds trivial in comparison to the situation with my boys, but it is instructive. There's always somebody that brings you down. Someone that brings you into an argument where there's not enough, where you have to be right. There's not enough love. There's not enough money. There's not enough time. And all of a sudden I find myself triggered again. And then when I think about my boys who serve as the inspiration for the name of our company, which is full potential solutions, and which is how do you unlock someone's full potential or how do you exploit their strengths and how do you overcome their innate weaknesses? Um, When I think of my boys, it actually guides everything that I do at work, Hilka, everything. Mm -hmm. So full potential solutions. Yeah. And then I was very struck by your journey of acceptance into we, we're no longer in charge of the outcomes of our lives, of how our lives are going to go. And it sounds to me like that was a very important teacher for you and potentially for your family. Very hard teacher, a fierce teacher to teach you something about what truly mattered to you. And I was always also struck by your saying that all these medals you were collecting actually were mostly well paraphrasing collecting dust not joy there was no real fulfillment in that for you and you discovered something about fulfillment paradoxically from what was a curve at least looked like a curveball at first yeah and and now you're bringing that into everything that you do so maybe a last bit of conversation before we take a break is how do you make that switch from this is a curveball to this place that you call above the line that 
you know, has to do with joy and appreciation and being able to take a walk with your son and really appreciating that. What's, what was that shift that happened in you? How did that happen? Love came from looking my wife in the eye, looking at my daughter in the eye, looking at my sons in the eye and figuring out what do we, where do we go from here? And I've had the great benefit throughout my life of having people in my life love me and believe in me. That puts me in a situation or gives, gives me hope in practically everything I do. And so I have friendships. I happen to have started my company with one of my best friends. I have relationships with the people I love and my family. I have relationships with the people with whom I work. You know, when you ask fundamentally what enables you to do this, there's one answer, which is sort of what I'm training myself to do, which is to be more mindful. But I think behind that, the essence of it, Hilka, for me, is what do I want most in my life? And that's, I want connection. And I want the fulfillment that comes from the help that I receive and the love that I receive and that which I'm willing to, am able to give to others. It's not achieving anything. And, and, and I don't want you to get me wrong. And, you know, hopefully we'll talk a little bit more about the business. I want to make a lot of money. I want to create an extremely valuable company. I want to produce outcomes for our clients that are far in excess of what they expected. But that, that's a byproduct of how we connect to one another. It's not, it's that journey that's more important than the end. Very clear. So the essence of that transition has to do with the love that you receive and the love that you want to share with the people around you. And then there's also the byproduct that you have passion for, which is about being a really successful business that really surprises and delights your, your customers. Let's take a break. After the break, we're going to come back to this whole question of how do we connect to that deep transformation at work, especially when big parts of us are like, mm, maybe not. I'm I'm going to be I'm ready to go back to my old way. So after the break, well, let, let's explore more about that. And thank you so much, Amit, for thank your you. wonderful insights and candor today. Thank you for that. Let's take a break. You are listening to Rooted and Unwavering, presented by Growth Leaders Network, the leadership, team, and culture development company. If you would like to learn more about working on connectedness for yourself, your team, or organization, please contact Growth Leaders Network on LinkedIn. And now, back to the show. So we've been talking, Amit, with Amit about connecting to grace and excellence. And if you're tapping in now, Emmett is the leader of two companies, Full Potential Solutions and also Perch Insights. And we've been talking about his journey into discovering the integration of grace and excellence. And we just had a, a deep exchange about what you've been learning from your family uh, configuration and the changes that took place there as you discovered something about your your two sons. So we've been talking about grace and love, Amit. So say a bit more about what are moments at work where that, you could say, knowing is really challenged and how do you work with that? Mm. I just want to clarify the question. So how do I connect with a scenario where that grace and the integration of grace and excellence is challenged. Yes, yes. Where you may want to go back to the old metal collective yeah. version of yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As a leader, I actually think we as leaders have a privilege and an opportunity and also an obligation to put the people that we work with that have entrusted us as leaders, to put them in a situation where they can thrive. Remember our mission. That's, that's the North Star, right? That, that mission, thrive, 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 right? And so when I'm in a situation where we're just not getting it done, 
where our performance isn't where it should be or our profitability isn't where it should be. I always ask myself, because ultimately I'm 100% responsible, right? So if someone isn't doing their job, I could ask them to leave. I could ask them why they're not able to do it. I could compliment them with somebody else. And like as leaders, we have to imagine a scenario where it's not someone else's fault, but it's our fault. And where I come back to when I, when I take 100% responsibility for the outcomes that we produce, it's actually quite humbling, right? Because yeah. it's less about the person that isn't doing their job. And it's more about how did I let that happen? And I have a set of choices that I can make that are mine and only mine, right? And so, um, yes, I mean, being graceful, sometimes being graceful involves asking somebody to leave the organization because if they're, they, they don't want to be unsuccessful, Hilka, they don't want to come to work every day and bang their head up against a wall and feel like they're not making an impact and having a positive impact on this world. They want to feel connected to their teammates. They want to feel connected to their clients. They want to feel like what they're doing is doing good in this world. And there are some people that come to work to collect a paycheck. And then there are some people that are connected to the mission. And I ask myself, the people who are just collecting a paycheck here, how do I motivate them to adopt the mission? And then the people who are on the mission, how do I get them to help me get more people who are just collecting a paycheck to adopt the mission? I can't control the life circumstances of everybody that works in our company, but I can create the circumstances around which they operate at work. Beautiful. So I see you talking about the, the, the choices. Like, first of all, something I see you do this, like something happens that is challenging. Somebody's not performing or profitability may not be what it is, needs to be, or maybe I'm filling in blank. Client may not be served in the way you think it should be served or whatever that is, right? And then as opposed to going into blame of the other, what I see you do is you take, you take full responsibility without putting a blind eye, turning a blind eye to what's actually happening around you. So also taking responsibility as a leader when you need to, to let people go if that's what's called for, because that's also a choice that you have, right? And, and I also hear you say that the choices that you make have a lot to do with helping people, asking yourself, like, how can I help people to connect more deeply to the mission? Yes. Now, if I bring that, if we bring that back to your home life, how do you help yourself to connect back to your mission with your boys? And what is your mission with your boys? We have a mutual friend in, in Rick Gage uh, that's taught me a lot about how and how we can persevere, be resilient. And that's just being, sitting with your emotions, letting yourself, not getting stuck in the middle where you get burned out, but feeling emotion and emotion all the way through to completion. And once you come out of that emotion, you can be more clear-eyed about what you want to do. And for many, many years, I was doing, I was moving, and I was acting, and I, I had to be the first person to respond to an email. I had to, I had to be the person that wrote the memo. I had to be the person that did the analysis. I was, the, I was your quintessential high-achieving individual performer. And if you're leading a team, that gets you nowhere. As it relates to my boys, I don't want to lead a for-profit enterprise forever. I want to create enough wealth and build a community of people that are deeply connected, committed to another mission, which is to create an environment for people with different special needs to thrive. Through my work at Full Potential and at Perch Insights, I have an opportunity to create wealth. I have an opportunity to learn how to lead an organization. I have an opportunity to learn how to create an environment where people thrive. And I hope to apply what those lessons learned into a new venture that involves public-private partnerships, that involves um, building a community of people with and without special needs that puts people with special needs in places where they can thrive. 
So that involves a campus setting. It involves uh, residential development. It involves um, medical care. It involves employment opportunities. So there's a bunch there, Hilka, that um, we should probably cover in another conversation. But what I can tell you is I have a very, very, very clear picture. And I know it's going to take tens of millions of dollars or more. I know it won't come from me alone personally. It will be. It will come from attracting investors into a real estate venture. It will come from attracting other for-profit participants that are serving people in the community and generating revenues and profits. And it'll come from nonprofit actors that are serving people in the community that are funded from state and federal government sources. So there's a bunch to it. But when you talk about rooted, yes, I am very rooted around what that will look like uh, and have a clear picture of it. But I can't quite do that yet because we have a lot of work to do within these for-profit businesses uh, as we build out these teams and build value before I could take that next step. I hear you say so. I hear so much passion and so much clarity with you. Like you're talking about it, as I hear you, as if it's already happening. And yeah. I think that is very powerful. That that you're already living that vision, and it seems to be so close already. Taking a a small step back, which was saying like, well, talking about how do I stay with my emotions and staying with my emotions when things happen and not jumping in and writing the memo and being the first one and all this stuff that you've learned, actually experienced, doesn't work. How have you learned and what have you learned maybe from your experience with your boys about as opposed to doing? Can you, can you tell a bit more about that? Because my sense is that there's a lot there. If I may, the, the first answer actually involves my daughter, who I, I won't get into too many details because I think she's listening and I don't want to embarrass her. But I think when you have it, when you have a child, which is obviously a very deeply personal, important relationship, you want to protect them. You want you, you know, you're thinking three steps ahead about a particular sport or, or class or uh, extracurricular activity or college, or job, and you're trying to figure out, once you understand what they want, how you can make it easier for them to get. And what I realized is, this is her life. By doing, by trying to help her live her life, I'm actually taking away from part of her own experience. When you put in, now putting aside my daughter for a second, I call it, uh, in conscious leadership, we call it heroing. Let me go solve that problem for so-and-so. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. in my work life, when I, first of all, I may not be able to do it better than somebody else on my team. Yeah. Second of all, when I think about building a for-profit juggernaut of a business, it has to be bigger than one person. Mm-hmm. And that's the big, under, you know, as a leader, if I am no longer involved with Full Potential or Perch Insights, or for that matter, Affinity X, I better make sure that there are people on the field or on that team mm. that can carry that ball forward better than I can. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And as a leader, it's incumbent upon us to build that team full of all-stars, uh, not only individual performers, but people who also are connected to one another and buy into this basic ethos of connection and love and putting team first instead of oneself to build that engine, to build that team, to perform better. Again, that performance is a byproduct of that culture and how that team relates to one another. It's not about me. It's not about me doing something. The thing that I need to do is build a team. And then hopefully the team takes 100% responsibility for itself. I love the connection you're making, or at least that I'm seeing you make between your daughter and your teams at work. So this sense of my job is to make it easy for her, but not the hero, like to, to get out of the way. My job at work is to make it easy for you, but not to hero and get out of the way and create a, an organization where people find the wherewithal within themselves to connect to their mission, 
to connect to each other, to connect to this ethos of team over self that is so important to you. So how do you help others to connect to that? Like if you, if you, for example, work with somebody where you see that their, their, their attention might be primarily collecting a paycheck and you, you see the potential to actually move towards connecting to mission and something greater. How do you help people with that? How do you make that happen? Simple. So remember uh, the core values, excellence, accountability, integrity, and grace. One of the things that we practice at both Full Potential and at Perch Insights is radical candor. As a leader, if you're going to have integrity, it's not only doing what you said you'd do, but it's not withholding, not telling somebody something that you should tell them. And in, in life, I think, you know, this is part of the psychological safety too. People feel uncomfortable with friction. And I actually enjoy friction, not because I want to fight with people, but because I think out of friction, out of disagreement, out of conversation, where people are truly listening to one another, we might find a solution or an answer that we never thought. And so the way I try, and and Hilka, I'm a work in progress, you know this, I'm not, I don't have all the answers, but what I am trying to do and what I'm committed to doing is having 100% integrity, not withholding the truth. And when I see people, deviating from our core values or not exhibiting those core values, I, it's incumbent upon me to speak up. No matter where they are in the organization, no matter how important they are to the organization, because if I don't, someone in the organization will see that and they'll see that I'm out of integrity. And if they see I'm out of integrity, then they'll question whether anyone has any integrity. And if they question whether anyone has, the whole thing falls apart. It falls apart, right? Because then we're just a house of cards. The emperor has no clothes, if so to speak. And so I, I know that as a leader, and I'm one among many, right? I'm, I'm not the be-all, end-all of either business. If I don't walk the walk or whatever, or talk the talk and walk the walk, if I don't exhibit those core values, then how can any, I expect anybody else to? Hmm. Right? So if I'm in a situation where someone's not performing or someone's deviating from the core values, they recently just had one, and I don't do anything about it, then the whole thing falls apart. I appreciate that, again, that that commitment. I see that in this whole conversation and knowing you a bit more, like this deep commitment to your integrity, to your compass, to your North Star, to what's true about you. And I see that in terms of how you describe interacting with your whole family and interacting with your employees at work and how you hold yourself to that very high standard. Like, I have to do it. If I don't do it, the thing will come apart because people are looking at me as a person that needs to hold that standard. And that's what I see you do. Now, I am curious, and I'm thinking some of our leaders might, some of our listeners might be as well, who may be leaders and probably are, like when you see something that seems out of integrity from your perspective. How do you approach that? How do you approach that? I want to answer your question, but the other thing I want, I just want to say something. As I heard you recap what I said, it sounded like it was really hard to do. And it's actually, I think the process that we just talked about is the easiest path forward. I love that. So so let's stay with this for a second. So actually, it is easy, is what you're saying. Let's stay yes. with that for a second. It is easy. Yes. And what, to say more about why it's easy, that's probably the more important question to look at. Because when we're caught up, when we're caught out of integrity, Hilka, then it just, you lose sleep, right? You lose sleep yeah. because you're like, what if? I can't believe I didn't. That creates drama. Drama takes us away from the North Star. And so I choose to simplify matters by keeping life very, very simple. I, I, uh, and I don't need to go into this in detail, but I, I, there's a book that I keep on my desk at all times called The 15 Commitments to Conscious Leadership. And it distills it down to 15 basic commitments. I'm still learning, so I, I don't pretend to exhibit or meet all 15 commitments every single day, every single minute. But what I can say is if I don't have integrity, I get caught up in a lot of drama. I love your simplicity, the simplicity you, you talk about that. And I'm so glad you reacted what I said or how I said it, because I brought forward, I think, a very important insight. 
that may be easy for you now that you've been doing it for a long time, I sense it. It's but you've become unconsciously skilled in being in integrity. And yet there may be listeners for whom being a work in progress is maybe a, a maybe maybe harder. So everybody has their own experience. And I love the ease that you are experiencing in it because that sounds to me like the promise of this path that you're on. Like it, it is it is what I have to do. It's like this is this is my name. My name is I'm in integrity. So I love that. So back to the other question, which is so when you see people being out of integrity in your company, mm. how do you approach that? I challenge them. I ask them why. I had a coach in, in, in high school. He, he was a very intimidating character. He was a former national champion heavyweight wrestler in college. And he took a real interest in me, and I was lucky to have him as my coach. And one day I came off the mat. He used to make, after every match, he used to make us shake his hand. He used to look him in the eye. And he actually had a fake eyeball. I mean, he was, he was a very intimidating figure. But he had to look him in the eye and he had to shake his hand. And one day after a match, and I'd won the match, and I was pretty cocky about it. But I did make some mistakes in the course of the match. And he said to me, was all he said. He said, I'm disappointed in you. I literally sat on the bench and I cried. And it was, it was a profound moment in my life. What I'll say about that is that's what I learned radical candor. I didn't know it was radical candor at the time. Yes. Right. But that's where I learned that if you love somebody or you take an interest in somebody and they know that you are interested in them and they know that you're coming from a good place and they say, I'm disappointed in you for X. Mm-hmm. It can, you can only have a good conversation about it. And if they take it the wrong way, maybe they're triggered. You ask them to take a deep breath and let's talk about it tomorrow. But don't not talk about it. Mm, 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 mm. And so how did teenager Amit process that? So he cried. And then what happened? I had a conversation. And then I came back to practice the next day. And the specific mistakes I made were things that I could fix. And he he motivated me. And he was one of those coaches that just... He didn't have to say much. He said very, very clear. I was disappointed in you because you did this. You took your opponent for granted and you let him take you down and you didn't use the most basic, basic method of blocking that and turning it around. It's very tactical, mm-hmm. but it was also mental. Like, and, and so in business and in life, Hilka, I really believe it's, it, it, we, over, we tend to overcomplicate things with drama mm-hmm. and we need to basically, in my opinion, Again, I don't want to sound like I have all the answers because I don't. You know this. But in my opinion, if you can simplify these things to their essence and have the conversations with the people you work with in a graceful manner where you're listening to them and they have the confidence that you're taking the time to listen to them, there isn't anything that you can't solve. Powerful. There isn't anything that you can't solve by listening, by staying in the conversation, by radical candor. I so appreciate your bringing that to the fore. So as we're getting to the final minutes of our time together, I'd like you to think about what you'd like to say to people who might find this path of connecting to their integrity challenging, or they may have just started that. They may be where you were when you got the curveballs or somewhere, you know, when you were still in the metal collecting phase of your life, or maybe they're already where you're at, but parts of them are not quite on board yet. What would you want to say to them about helping people to connect with what's so true and simple for you? What would you say to them? Give it a try. In the end, when I say in the end, I mean, we're, we're, we're all here for a finite period of time. We know that. That much is true. And in the end, are we going to care more about our individual accomplishments and what's on our resume? Or are we going to care more about the sum of all the love and all the joy we've experienced in our life? And that can come from having a positive impact. That can come from a lot of different things. And so I think there's plenty of scholarship behind this, things like gratitude practices, things like meditation, things like making yourself vulnerable and how that helps you experience deeper relationships, friendships, 
none of this is that hard if we just give it a try and surround yourself. In my opinion, I am very fortunate to have people around me that are committed to this kind of work and this kit, this mindset, this growth mindset, conscious leadership mindset, mindful m- m- mindset. Seek out people in your life that share that philosophy mm. and it'll get easier. Mm. And if you've taken the time to listen to this podcast, I'd be happy to talk to you about it further if it's something that you're interested in. Because I think, uh, Hilke, you've taught me about a lot of this yourself, but the tools are out there. The evidence is out there. This is sci- this is fact-based. There's science behind this mindset around mindfulness, around happiness, around gratitude. It doesn't mean that you want to achieve less. It doesn't mean that you will achieve less. In fact, I think it is a superpower that will enable you to do things in your life that you never thought possible. Thank you so much, Amit. Uh, one, one takeaway I had from this was when you stopped me today, when you said, no, it is easy. and then. You concluded today with give it a try. Give it a try. And then surround your people, self with people who are supportive of you giving it a try. And then you can support them as well. So thank you so much, Amit, for your sharing today, your vulnerability, your candor today. I'm so glad that you were with us today in, in Ruth and in Wavering. And we're getting to, to the end of this, this episode. If you enjoyed listening to this, maybe uh, consider subscribing to Root and Wavering. You can get in touch with Amit or with me. Uh, You can also uh, join us in monthly Growth Leaders Network community conversations that you can find on LinkedIn. Our next podcast will actually be in Dutch with Greg Prince. Uh, He is the chairman of the Dutch Chamber of Commerce. Uh, And this will be on November 11th. And then we'll be back into this language towards uh, the beginning of December with Bernard Slowey, who takes care of digital consumer experiences at Salesforce. I'm so grateful for you, Amit, for being together today. Uh, I'm so grateful for everybody listening, for spending the time, spending our precious time and attention to connect more deeply to what is true for us, whatever that looks like. And for now, I would say that's it for today. Thank you so much. Uh, for your presence and for your for your listening, you've been listening to Root and Unwavering, uh, where we help leaders connect more deeply to their innate potential. And I'm your host, Hilke Farber. See you next time. Thanks, Hilke. Thank you for joining us in today's episode of Rooted and Unwavering, leadership conversations about courageous connectedness, presented by the leadership development company. Growth Leaders Network. To learn more, subscribe to this podcast, connect with Growth Leaders Network and Hilke Faber on LinkedIn, or read Hilke's award-winning book, Taming Your Crocodiles. Now take a moment and appreciate something that is great about you. Celebrate the gift that you are and enjoy connecting more deeply to your best self today. See you next time on Rooted and Unwavering.